Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that, just like George Costanza, his only conceivable reason for getting up each morning is that he likes to get the paper. He is the captain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Happy St. George's Day. Or we might be late, but uh, in Costanza's world, we're on time. Thanks for listening, and thanks for telling a friend. Today we are drinking James Bogue's Premium Lager, garage grade, three out of five bottle caps. This lager is brewed in Tasmania. It's a European style lager made up with the finest Pilsner malts, fermented at a much cooler temperature and matured longer than other lagers, resulting in a crisp lager. And today's beer was brought to us by these cool cats. First up, thanks to our good buddy Matthew at Carolina Custom Metal and Wood. And a big shout out to Megan in Santiago, California. Next up, a shout out to Nattle Snake and Bad News Taylor in Seattle, Washington. Also in Seattle, our buddy Ian, who has been listening since the first episode. Cheers, mates. And a big shout out to Austin from the Ohio State University. And I throw out a like your jib to Rusty from Hoax Bluff, Alabama. Rusty. And last but not least, our good friend Griffin from Birmingham, Alabama. Thanks to everybody for filling up the fridge for this week's show. If you want to help us out with next week's beer run, we're gassing up the truck. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. And uh, we're going to have a mega tank top sale pre-order the next couple weeks so check that out on the website as well and that's enough of the business that's right everybody gather around grab a chair grab a beer let's talk some true crime Yes. All right, I'm just going to bring that up on my map. I won't be a moment. Thank you. 
How long has he been missing? I th- well, I think, well, we've been looking in for him now for about 15 or 20 minutes, but okay. I thought it could be five, it could be longer, because he was just playing around here. We heard him, and then we heard nothing. Okay. So I've got the nearest cross street it's, being Ellendale uh, Crescent, is that right? So is what that, is it? Ellendale Crescent? I don't know. My, this is my mum's house. I, okay. Um, hang on. There's another lady out helping us look for him. I'll see if I can find her. But it's Benaroon, B-E-N-A-R-O-O-N. Yeah, I can see. I can see where you are. I'm just wondering. Yeah, so it was, it's Benaroon Drive in Kendall, and I just got. I've got your nearest cross street as being Ellendale Crescent. It could be. I don't know. Okay. So he's been missing since about 10:30. Yeah, I'd say so. Okay. Can you describe him to me? How tall? Obviously not very tall. No, but he's, he'd, be, he'd be about two and a half feet. He's wearing a Spider-Man outfit. What kind of hair has he got? He's got um, dark, sandy-coloured hair. It's short, and he's got really big, uh, browny-green-coloured eyes. Okay. What do you get in each shoes on? Do you know any any other distinguishing features? Um, 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 He's got a freckle on the top of his head when you part the hair on the left-hand side. You'll see a freckle on the top of his head. Okay, all right. Do you know where he might have gone? Um, we actually live, well, my property is near a state forest. Okay. And they're on huge blocks. We've walked up and down Benaroon Drive and we can't find him. Okay. What's his name? William. What's William's surname? Uh, Tyrrell. T-Y-R-R-E-L-L. Okay. Has he been known to sort of go anywhere? No, this is the first time. The first time he's out of character. There wasn't anyone um, suspicious in the area, any vehicles? No, 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 no. Okay. Well, not that I'm, no, not that I'm aware of. We were just, I was out there talking with mum and my other daughter, so... Okay. And we heard him roaring around the garden, and then I thought, oh, I haven't heard him. I'd better go okay. check on him and okay. All right. find him. We'll send police to see you at Benaroon driving Kendall. Yes, we'll also get the, um, the message broadcasted to all the cars and people look out for him as well, yes, okay? Yes. Thanks all right. Much. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Today's case takes us and the flying garage ship to a foreign land and unfamiliar territory, and we will do our very best to try to fit in while we are here. This is a horrific story of a little boy who was reported missing and a very, very odd story at that. I actually thought of that documentary out there called Missing 411 when first reading about this case. That's a documentary about a couple of different stories of children who have gone missing and seemingly just vanishing into thin air. So this is one of those types of cases. This week's case takes place in Australia, and at the center of this case is William Tyrrell, born June 26, 2011. Now, William disappeared when he was just three years old. William Tyrrell was still a baby when he arrived at the home of his new foster parents, Reports out there suggest that this was to be a permanent arrangement. The baby boy had been removed from his biological parents, both of whom had had encountered problems with police. His biological father had spent most of William's short life incarcerated. William did have supervised visits with his biological parents after being placed in foster care. However, these visits were infrequent And William identified his foster family as his parents and was known to publicly use their surname. So one tricky thing here in this case, Captain, is that the the name of the foster parents has Mm -hmm. not been disclosed to the public. So just to be clear, William's last name, as reported on TV and in the papers, is Tyrrell. This is the surname of his biological mother and not that of his foster parents. Also, before we move on too far, we should mention that while William's biological parents had run-ins with the law, there is no indication that they were ever violent to the little boy. Carly Tyrrell is William's biological mother, and the father uh, is her estranged partner, 
Brandon Collins, who is also known as Bonesy. Mm. He has been described as a career criminal by the media, but a relative said, I wouldn't say he's made much of a career out of it. Now, don't quote me on this. (laughs) Well, the thing is. So he's not only is he a criminal, but he's a loser criminal. I think, you know, I to be completely honest, I don't know 100% of the details of this man's run-ins with the police and, right. and, you know, being behind bars. He has been in jail multiple times. When the media states career criminal, I think of somebody that's that's a criminal to, to survive, to kind of make money and to... Um, you know, get things and, and, and get by in life. Mm-hmm. It appears to me from what I've been able to dig up that most of his run-ins with the law stem from alcohol and drug problems that he has, which, right. you know, that nobody makes a career out of being a, an alcoholic and a drug addict. Well, and, some people do. Well, they don't make any money at it, right. at it was what I'm getting at. And unless maybe he was a dealer, but I couldn't find anything to suggest that it appears to me that he's quite the drug addict and he's got some that he's a pretty violent individual mm-hmm. at times um and it appears that there had been several uh, domestic violence charges on this guy as well so for some reason they take this boy away from his parents and give him to a foster family the boy goes missing, but we're not allowed to know anything about the foster parents. Is there a reason why we're not allowed to know anything? Well, I don't fully understand this, and I think it has something to do with Australian law or um, law of that area. So these these foster parents have, when William went missing, they have more than one foster kid in their care. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that the reason why they cannot disclose their name is, has something to do with that foster care situation that either they're protected by certain laws or that because they're trying to gain full custody of this other child that they have in their care, um, that their name cannot be disclosed for that purpose. And this is the way that, the way that I view this, it seems a little weird because at the early get-go of this case, a lot of people were very suspicious of the foster parents because their name wasn't revealed. Right. The way that I understand it is the courts will not them will not allow them to reveal their name. I could have that wrong, but there are several things to suggest that judges have prevented that from happening in the media. Basically what you're assuming, I guess, is that that the foster parents they would be fine with using their names and their identity, but the courts are stopping them from doing so. That is my best guess. Um, and to further convolute this whole situation, I believe that the other child that is still in their care right. is very likely William's older sister. Hmm. So um, there are several reports out there that state that William was about eight to nine months old when he went out of the home and into foster care. There is one report out there that states that William was 11 months old. Uh, this might be the most accurate. I don't know. I only say that because this article is comprised of several things, but the primary factor of that article is an interview with William's biological grandmother. So that would be William's biological fathers. It would be his mother. Uh, in that article. Now I had to do some reading between the lines here because all articles on this are very vague. So keep in mind, I am stating what I believe to be the case. I could be wrong, but it sounds like the parents had some kind of not only drug issues, but domestic violence charges against each other, um, possibly against one another. And uh, maybe they had been forbidden to be in each other's company. All right. So they get hopped up on drugs and they like to hit each other or, Yes. Or yeah, there's some kind of squabble or fight that, that has occurred on more than one occasion. Now, the other thing though, the reason why I think that there's a bit of a gap between the time that William goes into foster care is that we have the grandmother, the biological grandmother that states that they were told they were going to lose William. And it sounds to me like they had already lost their daughter at this time. I'm unclear if the daughter belongs to both of of these parents. Right. But 
What has happened here is the grandmother has stated that the the kids, and I, when I say kids, I mean these two young uh, people that have had these children, they kind of went on the run with their son, William. They, they took off and tried to avoid the law and try to avoid losing their son. When they were spotted somewhere, they were, they were arrested and the child was then taken from them. So that's why I think that there is a bit of a discrepancy of when they lost their child. My guess is that they were supposed to lose William at, at the eight or nine month mark. They went on the run. They were on the run for six weeks or so, and the law caught up to them. Yeah, so whenever they took custody of William, William is going to go to a wealthy family from Sydney's North Shore. Yeah, and he was being raised by this family at the time of his disappearance. The Foster family, they were even in the process of renovating their house to create their forever family home to include William and a new room for William. Uh, The Foster parents have regularly spoken out in media interviews, but I, I guess I should... I'm going to kind of backtrack on something I said already. Um, There are reports out there that state that they cannot, that their identity cannot be disclosed. There are also reports out there that state that they have requested that they not be identified. So just to be clear that there, there are arguments on both sides of that fence. So now that we have a little bit of background, Captain, let's get into the details of William's disappearance and some of the events leading up two and some of the events of that day. Now, real quick, a description of William. Uh, This source says, quote, the NSW, that's the New South Wales police. They believe that William was abducted and they strongly believe that he may still be alive. So I want everybody to pay close attention to this. So the source is a website that maybe uh, could use an update. Uh, but regardless, there is a website out there called whereswilliam.org. And on that website, you can donate there. You can get involved. Um, well, maybe you could donate some of your computer skills and update some of their information, yeah, update the website for, them. um, but to include a description of William, we pulled this straight from the whereswilliam.org website. So describing what William looks like, William is of Caucasian appearance. William was above average height for his age, not overly tall, but taller than most boys his age when he disappeared. The site also says that William walks with a swagger. He has hazel eyes, brown straight hair, which grows very quickly. His hair is thicker on the top of his head and finer towards the base of his head near his neck. William has one rather large dark freckle on the left-hand side that is near the top of his head, about five centimeters back from his hairline. He also has asthma, which is worse in the cold months. So let's get to the disappearance. On Thursday, September 11th, 2014, William Tiro is just three years old. He is picked up along with his sister from daycare. I've read a few accounts of this day that state it was a surprise that the children were taken out of school as part of a very impromptu out-of-town trip. Most sources do not say that that or at least do not go into detail of him being picked up. Mm-hmm. So from my understanding, Captain, the plan was to go out of town that weekend for a weekend trip to Nana's house, to the, the foster grandmother's home. The plan was to travel on Friday. For some reason, the foster parents, they got done with work early and they decided to surprise not only the children who loved going to Nana's house, Mm -hmm. but also surprise Nana. I guess she had been, I don't know if it was a chronic illness or she had been sick or there's been something going on in her life where the foster parents wanted to cheer her up by bringing the children to her sooner. So it was a bit of a surprise. Take the kids out of daycare on Thursday. Let's go ahead and make the four-hour trip to Nana's house on that Thursday instead of Friday. Right. This is the foster mom's mom. So they traveled about four hours from Sydney to visit William's foster grandmother in a place called Kendall. Now, this sounds like maybe a long weekend trip, like I had said. So they're going to go out to Kendall. This is in New South Wales, which I've never heard of Kendall, but checking it out, this, this looks like a very cool place. Um, the grandmother's house is on Benaroon Drive. So there are a couple of streets there with some houses. 
It's a little neighborhood kind of tucked away. This is a wooded area right by the Kendall Forest, which is a large, uh, when you Google map the street there, you, you will see that the forest practically surrounds the grandmother's neighborhood. Is it like a park or is it just it, natural? It, it could be some kind of natu- national forest, mm-hmm. uh, but it is a heavily wooded area. And like I said, this is a small neighborhood that is surrounded by forest. Now, according to the 2011 census, the population of Kendall is just 833 people. And at the time of the disappearance or abduction, uh, it was reported that this town had less than 1500 people in it. So Kendall is a, a small country town. Yeah. So the street on which she lives at the time of the disappearance is Benaroon drive. Now to get to Benaroon drive, regardless of what direction you are traveling from, you have to take Batar Creek Road. And Batar Creek Road is sort of a long, sprawling country road. So there is only one way in and out of this little neighborhood. Benaroon Drive has a few more than a dozen houses located on Benaroon, and there's a short street that comes off of Benaroon. The name of that street is Ellendale Crescent, which only has probably less than 10 houses on it. Okay, but this this could be important to this case. So that's why I point out all these things and we will see why. But the important thing to picture here is both Benaroon Drive and the attached street of Ellendale are both dead end streets. And you can only get into this little neighborhood when traveling the roads, when traveling the roads from that country road, Batar Creek. Right. So the family of four, they stay the night at grandmom's house. Yeah. So we have five people in the house. Correct. The next morning, this is the day that the little boy goes missing. So we want to go through a detailed timeline, right? This is going to be Friday. Yes. So the day starts off like this. Sometime before 9 a.m., just before breakfast, Mm -hmm. uh, the foster mother opens a sliding glass door to the balcony to bird watch. She will later say that it is at this time when she notices two cars parked down the road. At 9 a.m., William and his sister are riding their bikes. A car drives past the children. This vehicle, according to police, is described as a dark green or grayish color sedan. Mm -hmm. This car drove past 48 Benaroon Drive. That's where they were staying as William was riding his bike on the driveway. The car drove into the quiet cul-de-sac, did a U-turn in a neighbor's driveway, and then drove out of the street. Around this same time, there is a woman named Mrs. Wilson. Mm -hmm. She tells police that she heard two children playing in a neighboring yard before she left to run errands in the township. She is leaving to go shopping. She hears two kids playing next door. She does not see any kids or any parked cars. At 9.15 a.m., the foster father takes off to make what is reported as either a phone call or a Skype conference call. And he has to do this due to poor internet. Remember, we said this is kind of a country area. He's going to have to drive into town to make this phone call or this Skype call. The town that he he says he went to is about 11 minutes away by car. Later, police confirmed that he was where he said he was. Right. At 9.45 a.m., the foster mother takes a photo of William sitting on the deck. The time and date are confirmed later by police. Now, this has become a famous photo. photo. He's uh, wearing a Spider-Man outfit. Yeah, and this is incredibly like a very weird coincidence, I think, here. Because, you know, often with these children, when they go missing, Mm -hmm. one of the first things that police and detectives are going to try to to get from the parents is going to be, give us your most recent photograph of your child. Give us your most updated photograph of this little boy or little girl. Yeah. And here we have a situation where maybe just minutes before the kid goes missing, the mother, the stepmother, uh, sorry, I'm going to foster mother. Right. She takes three pictures of William at that time at 9.45 a.m., and one, like you said, Captain, is the now famous photo of William Tyrrell where he you can see him playing on the deck. He's wearing a Spider-Man outfit, 
you know, shirt and pants. Yeah, it's um, probably like Spider Man PJs. Yeah, and you can. It, it's 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 just very strange. It's a very weird coincidence. I don't think it's that strange now. I mean, I think you're going to see that more and more. I mean, there's there's always people that go missing, and now with technology, you're going to have snap. You know, we've seen it with other cases where somebody Snapchatted themselves or somebody else Snapchatted somebody or posted something on Instagram or Facebook, and then they go missing. You know, just a little bit later. I think you're spot on because I, I got to believe we are because of phones and technology. We are all taking more pictures now more than ever. So William and his sister are playing outside. They are running around hiding and laughing. You know, mm-hmm. they are just little kids. So probably screaming and yelling as they are having fun. They are playing games that from about 10 a.m. to about 10:25 a.m. So the home is has a large deck on the back of the house. It's like a like a balcony deck. Now, it sounds like maybe the last game or activity that the kids were playing would be kind of like hide-and-seek. Little William was running around to the back of the house and hiding under the deck area from his sister. At approximately 10, 4, 15 a.m., this is the last time that the foster mother says that she physically saw William. Okay. One of the investigators words are quote, our starting point is approximately a five minute window. When young William walked around the side of the house into the backyard and disappeared from sight while his mother and grandmother went inside for a cup of tea. Now moving on at 10 30 AM, the foster mother notices that she does not see William nor does she hear him anymore. Remember, we said that they were screaming, yelling, roaring, laughing. Yeah. I, I think she made claims that he was he constantly was doing this like roar like he was a lion or a tiger. This is when she decides to go looking for him. Now, the grandmother at this time does not know where William is either. Then the neighbor, this is Anne-Marie Sharpley, she spots the mother and the grandmother searching for the boy, so she decides to join the search. At around 10.36-ish, let's say, another neighbor reported that his wife had left the house around this time, and he stated that his wife didn't see anything unusual at this time. At 10.50 a.m., the foster dad arrives home, and in all honesty, this is a bit of a guess here, but I'll show you how... I got to this 1050 mark. So nothing complicated here, but there are two things that point that this is a pretty accurate time. One, the foster mom says that the boy was missing for about 15 to 20 minutes before her husband had returned to the home. Mm -hmm. And two, the husband says that he had returned approximately five minutes before they called emergency services. And we know that that call came in at 1056 a.m. So at 10.56 a.m., the foster mother phones triple zero emergency services with the neighbor Anne-Marie Shipley. When the foster mother is asked how long had he been missing, she answers, we have been looking for him for about 15 to 20 minutes. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. 
Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add ons to choose from every week, You'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. Cheers, Captain. So where we left off, we had the emergency services called, the triple zero emergency services called. We have a little boy, William Tyrrell, who is three years old, and he is missing. Yeah, which is their triple zero is the same as our 911. The call goes in at 10.56 a.m. The police arrive on scene at at 11.06 a.m. And that's 
I actually find that to be a rather quick response, uh, given the mm-hmm. area, given the, the, the size of the area. Um, and we've heard the 911 call. It's not a short call. So the call comes in at 1056, 10 minutes later, police are on the scene. Um, several officers state that when they arrived, the father, the foster father was inside the home and was visibly upset to the officers. Now at 11, 12 AM, the canine unit or the dog unit is dispatched to the home to help in the search. At 11.44 a.m., state emergency services are informed of the situation. So what are state emergency services? This is more like we're going to bring in firefighters, um, other people that are trained in search and rescue. We're going to start bringing in a large group of people to look for this little boy. At 12.52 p.m., the police helicopter takes to the sky, and I'm guessing that this helicopter was not part of Kendall's, you know, I don't know that Kendall would have a helicopter. Maybe they did. Maybe they borrowed it from a neighboring jurisdiction. Right. At 1 p.m., just a little more than two and a half hours after three-year-old William Terrell was last seen by his foster mother, 100 people had joined in and were desperately searching for the little boy. So as far as the early investigation and the search for the little boy goes, hundreds of police, members of the state emergency services, rural fire service, Mm -hmm. and members of the community searched day and night for William. Specialist police, including the sex crime squad, they formed a task force. Uh, It was practically immediately formed. As the day went on, They formed this task force. Motorcycles and helicopters were brought in to join in the search. 200 volunteers searched overnight. Hundreds of people combed rugged terrain around the home, and police divers searched waterways and dams. The police searched every house in the the area that surrounds Benaroon Drive several times. The police detection dogs were brought in, and they managed to detect Williams sent, but only within the boundaries of the backyard. Hmm. So let's go into that in a little more detail, shall we? So let's start with the houses being searched. Yeah. So police searched each of the 21 houses that surrounds Benaroon Drive, the street where Williams' grandmother lives. They searched the houses not once, not twice, but three and four times. Thrice. Yes. Each time using different personnel to make sure that fresh, a fresh set of eyes looked at every possible angle, every possible clue. It seems like all the neighbors were willing to help and, hey, you want to search my house? Come on in. Yeah. There was no kickback. Multiple searches. Roof spaces, subfloor spaces, wall cavities, cupboards, sheds, all were searched and searched again with methodical determination just in case someone was keeping the little boy hidden. Mm -hmm. Even the grandmother's house was searched top to bottom, but there was nothing. So if he was abducted, if William was abducted, he was not being held in the neighborhood from which he was taken. Mm -hmm. So they didn't find a scrap of clothing. They didn't find a footprint in the dirt. They didn't find tire marks. Now onto the police dogs. As we said, they were brought in and they managed to find William sent, but only within the boundaries of the backyard. Okay. Well, this is not good, right? Um, and I'll tell you why. We we talked about this when we covered Mara Murray uh, with the with the dogs Snooping tracking the scent. Scent dogs. Yeah. So it appears that William's foster grandmother's home is kind of on a corner. This make this making portions of both the front and back of the house visible from the streets. Mm-hmm. Now the yard has quite a few trees. These are the whole neighborhood is is well manicured lawns and landscapes. But it's very possible that someone could have pulled up right to the yard, call the boy over, and either snatch him up there or trick him into their vehicle. The troubling thing here is this would leave the evidence that they found at the scene where they find they're able to track the boy on his grandmother's property, but nowhere else. 
making okay, so it. So do they have like a scent that you know? Because he was playing on the porch or the or the deck, whatever you want to call it. It sounds to me like he was you're, that he was playing up close to the home, right? Because if you look at the way that the home, the layout of it, there appears mm-hmm. to be like a deck or a sitting area that is kind of the best way to describe it is on the side of the home that mm-hmm. does not face the street. So the front of the house, the other side of the house, and the back of the house are all pretty visible from these two streets, which is all Benaroon Drive, but it kind of like dead ends and then veers off to the right into another dead end. Yeah, and he's running around this backyard, so you're going to have some scent of him there, but do we have like a path from that deck or from the house to a road? Inconclusive. Okay. All reports state that the uh, they were able to track his scent, but only found the scent in the, within the boundaries of the grandmother's property. Right. So we don't know where it stopped or right. Right. And that's what I mean. I my I'm curious. Could somebody have pulled up right to the property line and coaxed the little boy into their vehicle, or just jumped out and grabbed him real quick? Right. Yeah. And if if you pick him up in the air that you would assume that the scent would, they would lose the scent. Yeah. And, and from our experience, captain, you know, this, unfortunately, most of the time when we see a situation like that, if that is in fact the case, we don't know that because they've not been very detailed in their, their report of this. But if in fact that we have a trail and then all of a sudden there is no more scent anymore, Uh we've found that most of the time that means that they were picked up or they got into a vehicle. Yeah. So one minute we have William running in the yard based off the scent dogs. And then one minute he's gone. And another curious thing here is that he's supposedly playing with his older sister. Yeah. But so is she just on the opposite side of the house? Because I couldn't find a statement from her anywhere. Yeah, this is very troubling to me. Now, when we say older sister, I we don't have a whole lot of detail of how old she is. But when when I hear that they're taken out of daycare to go, I on think she's like thirty two. <laughs> I'm assuming she's probably you know like five, maybe four or five. Right. So slightly older than William. But yeah, like you said, we don't have any witness statement from her saying, "Hey, I saw this happen." Or this person, this weird person entered the yard. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I do want to point out here, this area, this Kendall area, having never been there, I'm going to make some guesses, some inferences here. It does not look like a cheap place to live. Okay. These are very nice homes. This this neighborhood from the houses that I could see all appear to be very nice homes, mm-hmm. well-maintained, and the lots are very big. The yards are very big. Now, there are, like I said, in in the grandmother's yard as well as other yards surrounding it, there are a lot of trees and landscaping and things like that going on. So could he have been grabbed and there was an obstacle between his sister and him of pine trees or something of that nature where she couldn't see what was going on? Or maybe maybe whatever game they were playing just kind of fizzled out and she was doing her own thing and not really paying attention to her little brother. The other thing, though, too, Captain, at no point do either the mother, the grandmother, or any of the neighbors say that they heard a vehicle speeding off or tires squealing in a rush to get out of the area, you know, grabbing the kid and then, boom, you know, hitting the road. How did that go again? That was not a very good. I've been had a, have some bit of a head cold here. Yeah, so you're bad at sound effects now. Um, but Well, but if, <laughs> why? Look. If you're going to commit a crime or you're going to abduct somebody, wouldn't the best way to do that always to be even keel and just like, you know, like you grab the kid, you get in your car, you drive at normal speed. Right. You know, you you try not to be. You have your seatbelt on. You're not breaking any other laws that would get you pulled over or draw attention. Right. Because hypothetically, somebody grabs a kid, they put put them in the car and they start driving 70 miles down a road where there's only one way in and one way out. And everybody that sees the car goes, oh, I remember that car was going 80 miles an hour. So I I'm but I am curious. Why do we not have a statement from her? Even if the statement is. And I'm not saying that has to come from her, but what are the foster parents saying that 
hey, did she go inside for a minute? Was was he was William out playing by himself for five ten minutes? Right. Well, the 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 very troubling thing about this, when you look at this spot on the map, you could take a kid from this spot and you could be on that country road that we talked about in two minutes, and this would be without speeding away from the scene of of the abduction. Right. And I'm guessing once you hit that country road, you could be gone and out of the area fairly quickly, even with police arriving on the scene within 10 minutes of the emergency call going out. Mm -hmm. And you're right, Captain. The general story that has always been told to us by the foster parents is that the the two little kids were outside playing in the yard. It was a it was a nice day. Mm -hmm. And the mother and grandmother went inside for to get a cup of tea that they estimate that they were only gone 10, maybe 15 minutes. But remember, we said that the mother had opened up the balcony door. I'm also assuming that that might mean that other windows are probably open to the home at this time right. because she does state that she could hear the children outside playing while her and her mother were inside the home. So, yeah, and anybody that's watched kids before knows. I mean, normally if you can hear them, everything's fine. Yeah, it's when you know it's once you stop hearing them that normally something bad happened. Yeah, yeah, and so those are the only accounts that we have to go off of. Uh, the crazy thing, though, you know, this happens on a Friday morning, so mm -hmm. you would think that there might not be a lot of potential eyewitnesses. However, I. I don't think that's the case here. From my understanding that this Kendall area. There's a lot of retire, correct. retired people. And it also sounds like there were quite a bit of people home in this neighborhood during that time. There were even other kids that were outside reporting to have been playing at the time of this disappearance. Mm -hmm. And remember, this they're not even supposed to be there on that Friday. Right. They, they probably so. would have still been traveling to Kendall at that time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so back to the early investigation. We mentioned a strike force was uh, formed very quickly. This is called Strike Force Roseanne, was established with specially trained investigators from the State Crime Command who were experienced in the unexplained disappearance of young children. Mm -hmm. They supported the police, other emergency services workers, and members of the public involved in the search. Now, after five days, police said that they were unable to come up with any leads in the disappearance of the little boy. One very important thing to note here, though, we talked about the foster grandmother's house being searched. Yeah. I would guess that at this time that the authorities were going to be taking a very good look at the foster parents as well. But I want to point out here that at... 4.30 p.m. on the day that William vanished, according to William's biological grandmother, mm -hmm. William's biological parents were arrested on that day as well. They were arrested for what? Just drugs? Um, I, I have no statement other than the grandmother stating that at 4.30 p.m. on the day that William went missing, the biological parents were arrested. Maybe they were just... Were they arrested or were they just brought in for questioning? Well, well, I, I tell you what, let's continue on our investigation timeline because right. I think that that might hijack the conversation a little bit. Uh -huh. So Did they bring in cadaver dogs at all to the search area. Yeah. So there are multiple dog units that were brought in. I'm assuming that that what would be the case. Uh -huh. um, however, you got to keep in mind that especially in the early stages of the search, they believe they're searching for a, for a living, breathing human, human being, mm -hmm. um, not a cadaver. Keep in mind. So much of the, of the, he went missing on September 12th, that, as you pointed out a Friday. So much of the next few days were spent searching the forest. Mm -hmm. And these searches were being conducted by hundreds of searchers, including the aid of dogs, motorcycles, helicopters, and so on. The search areas included waterways and dams, as we had mentioned. Also, during this time, the sex crime squad was interviewing people and speaking with locals. The search expanded to three kilometers around the spot from where he had disappeared from. So a very expansive search. And most of it is very rugged terrain. If you check out the map there, police on the 
on the fifth day said that these searches of the forest and the waterways have provided zero, zero leads or clues as to the whereabouts of William. Mm -hmm. And we don't have any scent trail of him going from the backyard into the forest anyways. Yeah, right. They did say that if by some chance the boy was in the bushland, we might, that he might still be alive at this time. Now this is five days after he's gone missing. A source on that same day tells reporters that the police and the task force had also been talking to all sex offenders in that region. Now, nine days into the search. How many, the, how many offenders do we have in that, that region? I mean, we don't have that many people in the population. Well, I, I would imagine when they say region that that expands beyond the boundaries of the town of Kendall. Right. Now, nine days into the search, the, um, uh, the search was largely scaled back nine days into it. Um, the thought here is that emergency service workers believe that if he were in the bushland, that he would be presumed to have been dead by this time. Yeah. Um, and again, there was still no evidence to suggest that that scenario was even possible at that point. So when we say that the search was largely scaled back, that means that at this point, we are just going to have law enforcement working on the search for William. What does that mean? What we can what we can infer from that is that that means we are now working off of tips received by the sent in by the public, and we're also working on leads of possible offenders. Uh, talking to the sex offenders in the region would also point to that. Mm-hmm. On January sixth, two thousand and fifteen, the commander denied reports that investigators were treating the case as a targeted abduction. Now, that same month on the 20th, January 20th, forensic teams searched the home of a tradesman. This is William Spedding. He goes by Bill Spedding, so we'll call Mm -hmm. him that. Bill Spedding had gave William's foster grandmother a quote to fix a washing machine at her home. This was just four days before the child went missing. Yeah, and it's not clear what they took from his home, but they did take some items from his home. I'm, I'm guessing they tested them. And Bill they also offered up his DNA as well. And Bill Spedding was questioned at that time. And as you mentioned up, he offered up his DNA. So he was he was cooperative yeah. at that time. But uh, there's been a lot of publications and people on social media still throwing him under the bus. Well, we will learn that Bill has a questionable background mm-hmm. involving allegations with him and children. And so that's going to keep him in the, the spotlight. Yeah, keep him in the spotlight and in the target of the public. Now, on March 2nd, 2015, police and homicide squad units began a new search. Uh, this was for the body of William in the dense bushland of Bonnie Hills off of the Pacific Highway after receiving a tip from a member of the public. Mm -hmm. This was an extensive search. This was not an easy area to search, but they did it anyway. Nothing was found as a result of this tip. On April 17th, the same year, New South Wales police revealed that they were investigating reports of a possible pedophile ring operating in the area that William had disappeared. Okay. This, this could be a strong theory and there there is some evidence to suggest that this suspected pedophile ring could, could be a possibility could be the solution to, to what happened to William. Right. So what we would later learn is that police clear William's family mm-hmm. and any involvement in the disappearance. And it sounds like they cleared them fairly early. And then quickly they believed that the boy was abducted by a possible opportunist, opportunistic stranger later, which makes the most sense because he doesn't live in that area. I'm sure uh, now he's three at the time they get, they get William as you know, being his foster parents at let's say roughly age one. So how many times did they visit there? Right. You know, so it, it, it's just not likely that somebody would know that, that William is going to be at his grandma's house. Right. And even though this was a, you know, cause a lot, what a lot of people will point to is this was an unplanned trip and actually straight from the foster mother's mouth 
are the words that this was a planned trip. The mm-hmm. un what where people get confused is the unplanned portion was we went early. So like you had pointed out earlier that very likely they would not have been there that at that time on that Friday. No, they would have waited till the school was out or the daycare was out and then they would have left. And the reason why I will not shoot down the possibility of an opportunistic stranger abduction here is for one thing that we already pointed out. We have other witnesses, other people that lived in the neighborhood stating that they were not only were they home that day, but they had children. I don't know if they were their children or their grandkids, but there were other children that were out playing in this neighborhood on that very day. And what I mean by opportunistic stranger Mm-hmm. It's, I, it's, it's forgive me for saying so, but to put it bluntly, it's like going to the grocery store and picking out some produce, right? You, if you know that there's going to be a decent amount of children, if that's what you are looking for, you mm-hmm. go to that area, you scout it out and you, you take what seems to be uh, an easy target. But this doesn't seem like the most likely area because there's one way in and one way out you'd think that the perpetrator would know that oh yeah i i absolutely believe that either either the perpetrator knew this if if he was in fact abducted that they knew that there was one way in and one way out because they i believe if it was an opportunistic stranger that abducted little william that the person pulled into the neighborhood probably cruised the the small area mm-hmm. and and looked at the children that were outside playing at that time. That that doesn't, you know, rule out the possibility that it's sex ring either, you know. No, not at all. You know. Not at all. Now, and it was later um, you know, like we said early in the investigation it appears we're later told that they they very quickly mm-hmm. believed that the the child was not abducted by his foster parents or his biological parents or that they had anything to do with his disappearance or demise right, right. and we're told that very early on the police were quickly working on the thought that in theory that he was abducted by an opportunistic stranger now later is when they start examining the possibility that this quote opportunistic stranger may have had a connection with a pedophile ring or, you know, so maybe he was abducted by more than one person. Mm -hmm. Um, but you also have the, the thought there too is procuring an individual or victim for this pedophile ring, you know, somebody that Mm -hmm. maybe not be, maybe is not fully involved in the pedophile ring, but, but taking the child and giving them to a member of that pedophile ring is a possibility. Right. Well, they, they sell them most of the time. Well, that, no, that's what I mean. Yeah. Right, right. Procuring them for this. So, so there's le- if you have a stranger on stranger abduction, not only is it hard to make the link between the abductor yeah. and the victim, Very but then hard. if you add a middleman in there too, that's going to make it even harder to trace this back to where William could be or where he's being held. Now, some some evidence to point to the possibility of this this pedophile ring is remember the old show, maybe it's maybe it's a current show, I don't know, but you know the show <sighs> Current Affair, which I've not seen in a bazillion years, so Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. Well, it's th- kind of like Entertainment Tonight kind of. Okay, so it could be still around, I'm just unaware, but uh, the show Current Affair reported that about 20 registered sex offenders were living in the surrounding area of Kendall. Um, 20 registered. Correct. And and then we know that there's at least, if there's 20 registered, there's going to be at least a few that aren't registered. Yeah. Yeah. These are typically um, crimes that go heavily unreported or when they are reported, there's little evidence to convict somebody of these because it, it, a lot of times it turns into a, he said, she said situation where you only have the victim's word to go off of. Um, and I know that in situations here, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with Australian law, but in situations here, that doesn't usually work well to get a conviction. Now on June 11th, 2015, Newspaper reports say that a Spider-Man toy was found in the work van 
of what ABC News referred to as a person of interest in the William Tyrrell disappearance case. This was the man that we previously discussed, Mr. Bill Spedding. However, the, this, is, this is the guy that gave him a quote on the washing machine. Yes. Mm. Um, that his house was searched. He offered up his DNA. However, the New South Wales police would not confirm the discovery of this Spider-Man toy or comment on this story at all. So where we have this reported, uh, we don't have police confirmation. Then police later began investigating into the finding into finding the drivers of two cars that were seen parked on the dead end road on the morning that William disappeared. The cars were described as a white station wagon and an older style gray sedan, which were parked between two driveways of the acre lot of land. They were seen with their driver's side windows down and they were unknown to the neighborhood where the locals are all considered to be friends. These cars were noticed by William's mother and they have not been seen in the area again since the disappearance. The police regard these particular vehicles with much suspicion as there seem to be no logical reason why they would be parked on the street before William's disappearance. Reportedly at 9 a.m., a green or gray sedan car drove past the Terrell home while mm -hmm. William and his sister were riding bikes in the driveway. The car drove into the no through road, did a U-turn in the neighbor's driveway and drove out of the street. Second, secondly, this is something completely different. Another, and I don't have much of a description on this vehicle here, captain, but another quote, four wheel drive was cited driving out of Benaroon drive about 10 30 AM. This is, approximately the time that William disappeared. The yeah. same vehicle was later seen speeding down another Kendall street. The police said mm -hmm. that they have not known that, that they have known about these cars since the investigation started since the day of his disappearance. However, right. as part of an investigative strategy, the information about these vehicles was not released to the public until September 7th, 2015, when they announced a public appeal for information about these two cars. Detective Gary Jubilin said during the, the plea for information, quote, we're looking at a semi-royal area and it was a dead end street to attend out there. Mm -hmm. There would have to be a reason. Yeah. And on the same day, which is roughly about a year after William went missing, law enforcement is going to release the tape of the triple zero call that William's foster mother made of you know, reporting William going missing. Mm -hmm. uh, the triple zero again is what we refer to in the States as a 911 call. On September 13th, 2015, criminal profiler Dr. Sarah Yule from the police task force working with detectives to find William revealed details about the person police suspect suspect may have abducted the toddler. So not a full profile was released, but definitely some thoughts on the profile of the person responsible or thoughts about this person. Uh, and here they are, Captain. Uh, the All good right. doctor states that if no one but the child's foster parents and grandmother knew about the visit, then the kidnapper would have to have had another reason to be there, either visiting, living, or working in the area. There was only a narrow window of opportunity to take the child from outside the property. Quote, it does seem that this was an opportunistic crime. And when somebody makes that kind of impulsive decision, mm -hmm. mistakes are made. And it's those kind of mistakes that the investigation is focusing on. Detective Gary Jubilin added the kidnapping occurred on a Friday around 1030 a.m. It was broad daylight. And whoever abducted him risked being seen from the balcony of William's grandmother's home as well as neighboring properties. On September 26, 2015, police confirmed that they had seized a white station wagon for forensic examination from a property north of Kendall. The following year, on September 12, 2016, on the second anniversary 
of William's disappearance, the New South Wales government announces a $1 million reward for information on William's whereabouts. The police say that the reward will usually be paid out as conditional on the arrest and conviction of the offender. Mm -hmm. But the recovery of William had been added as a condition on this reward. It is the largest ever reward offered to find a missing person in New South Wales history. And started in May, all of our old episodes will be available exclusively on Stitcher. So basically from episode one to now will be available on the Stitcher app. So if you don't listen on the Stitcher app, might want to download that. And also our show off the record on Stitcher Premium, which is basically the Netflix for podcasts, starts May 1st as well. Thanks, everybody, for joining us in the garage today. If you want to help and support the show, subscribe to the show. Tell your friends about True Crime Garage. Go to iTunes and leave a five-star review. For everything else True Crime, go to truecrimegarage.com. We will see you all back here in the garage tomorrow night. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't let it. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.